Thank you to our worship team who are incredible every week. One of the most fun things about getting to bring a message is you get to see how all of this comes together and the incredible work that the team does to to bring us into the throne room of God. So I'm so grateful for that. Well, today we continue in our series Rooted on the book of Colossians. I have loved this series. I hope you have as well. Uh, It's an honor to bring a message today as a part of it. So I was thinking in preparation, you know, you could honestly, let's imagine if you just had a couple pages of the Bible torn out, and that's all you ever had of God's word, and it was the book of Colossians. I think you could base your entire life just on these four little chapters, and you would do really well, even if that was it. God's word is so rich, and there's so much in this book that we get to unpack together. So today we're going to continue through the end of chapter one move into the beginning of chapter 2, but before I read that text, I want us to actually uh, look at a map of the book. So we're going to put that up on the screen. This is sort of the overall flow. You know, when we engage with God's Word, we want to know what the text says, but we also want to know where are we on the road map, big picture. So the letter of Colossians, it has a greeting and an intro, and it has an ending, but in the middle, Paul is building his argument, right? It's like building blocks, placing one on top of the next. And so if you were here last week, you heard Pastor Rob talk about Christ's supremacy. That's a good foundation for Paul to use, right? It's all about Jesus Christ. Well, this week, I get to unpack a passage where Paul is introducing himself and his gospel work to this church, to the Corinthian, uh, the Colossians, that he's never met before. They don't know Paul, so he's got to introduce himself And as he does so, there are lessons in what he says in the inspired word of God that we can draw from ourselves. And then moving forward through the rest of the letter, what we're going to get as we continue to ascend is our freedom and life in Christ. What does it mean, what Christ has done for us, practically speaking? And then the very crescendo of the letter, Pastor Gus will be unpacking chapter 3, which is about Christian living. But all of that sits on the foundation that is built below. So today's text, again, we're early in the letter, but we're starting to build up in the flow that Paul is taking us on as we dive in together. Now, as we get into this passage, it's going to be clear to us that it has something to do with how we engage with the church. And the church is referred to consistently as the bride of Christ. So we're going to come back to this. It's going to be part of the service today. At the end, we're going to re-engage this notion of the bride of Christ. But this was meaningful for me today, especially because my bride and I, Megan, in a couple of weeks, we celebrate our 10th wedding anniversary. So that's a significant one. We're excited about that milestone. So for us, uh, thank you. And praise God for that. And, and Megan, for, for sticking with somebody like me. Um, But, you know, it's been 10 years, right, and five moves in those 10 years, five children added into the mix, and still I'm going to count it as zero fights. Um, There have been all kinds of extremely spirited discussions over the years, but we're going to say zero fights, and and Megan has 100% win rate um, on those, so so that's been great. Um, But so appreciate our marriage, but you know what, if you know me, and you respect or love me, then you're going to respect and honor my wife, my bride, right? And let's say you've never met Megan. You don't know anything about her, but you know and love me. Well, your desire would be to honor her uh, out of respect for someone that you know and that you love. And the same thing can be said about how we treat, how we engage the church, because it's the bride of Christ. So whether we honor the church or not, 
is showing how are we honoring Jesus himself because the church is something he's very passionate about. So let's read the text for today. If you'd stand for the reading of God's word, this is from Colossians 1, 24 through chapter 2, verse 5. I'm going to read from the ESV. It's up on the screen. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations but now revealed to his saints. To them God chose to make it known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. It's amazing, Father, that that you revealed yourself through your son, Jesus Christ, and then you spoke through the Holy Spirit to the Apostle Paul, and he wrote these words down, and they come transmitted to us through the centuries, Lord. They've been faithfully preserved and even translated to English, and here they are, and they can shape and transform our hearts. Thank you for your word. May we honor it. I thank you that Northland is part of your bride and that you love us. So give us willing hearts, open ears and minds, and let my words be faithful to yours. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I'm gonna be seated as we continue forward. Okay, so now we know where we are in the book of Colossians. We've heard the text, so let's take a look at what's going on in this passage that we have today. And You know, in a a classic sermon, you get three points to unpack the text. Today, we have two and a half points, so that's just what we're going to do. So those are going to go up on the screen. Number one, I'm going to give them to you, and then we're going to walk through them. So number one, we expect suffering and toil as we serve Jesus. You go, wow, that's a little bit different of a message, but we're going to see why. We're going to see what Paul says about that. Number two, we suffer and toil for a purpose, to build the church. And number three except not number three, number two and a half, because it hangs right off of number two. Okay, to build the church, what does that mean? To build the church is to increase Christian maturity. How mature is your and my understanding of Christ and his word, and are we growing together? So in this passage, Paul is going to show us how each of these are true and at work in his life and in his time. And again, God has brought this to us in the scripture so that we can be transformed and challenged by this as well. So first point, let's ask what's going on with suffering in this passage? Well, if you've been at Northland for any length of time, for a number of years, then you know Pastor Joel. And he preached a sermon uh, four years ago, give or take, and I was sitting in the audience where you are in this room, 
and, and he encouraged us actually to develop a theology of suffering. And I just remember it hit me like a ton of bricks. So I said, what is that? What, why would I want a theology of suffering? I, that doesn't sound very fun to study. I don't think I want that. Uh, but it just lodged in my heart. And so over the last few years, this has been a theme. God has been at work in my life on. So I'm excited that it's in our text today and that we get to unpack this together. In this short little passage, Paul says these things. I rejoice in my sufferings. For this I toil, struggling, how great a struggle I have for you. So we go, why is he doing that? Paul seems to glory in his sufferings. And for most of us, we want to appear strong. Things are easy. Things are going well. So we go, okay, what's going on with Paul? I think one of the reasons that he was inspired to write in this way is that he wants to get rid of a misconception about following God and then having an easy life. We could actually think of this as um, you know, karma, you do good things, good things come back to you. That's an unbiblical idea. We could even think of it as like a cosmic vending machine. If we picture God in the wrong way, it's almost like going up to a vending machine and I've got some coins and there's some slots in the machine. And what do I do? I, I go, okay, God, here's some faithful church attendance. I'm going to put it through the first slot. And then I get my, my regular Bible reading and I put it through. And then I say, you know, I was really treated poorly by some people, but I'm going to respond in Christ-like love. Let me put that into the slot. And as we live faithfully, then we expect out of the machine, like here's my Gatorade, I'm going to grab it. And what I pick up is a life of ease, a life of comfort and security, the easy life I've always been wanting. And this is an unbiblical and in fact a dangerous mindset because if we think this way, Guess what? All of us are going to struggle. All of us are going to toil. And when those difficult times come, if we've had this mindset, we might go, well, God, where, what's going on? I did my part. I lived faithfully and well. And then here comes all this suffering, like we're going to be angry or even bitter at the Lord. But what God would say to us is, no, no, I, I never promised you the easy path. I promised you that I'd be with you and give you peace on the difficult paths of life that you're going to have to walk down. So this is true all through the New Testament, what Paul tells us here. And suffering is portrayed as normal for the Christian life because suffering is normal for the human life. We face hard stuff. But what Scripture tells us is that as believers, as the children of God, we face suffering with a hope that no one else has, an incredible hope. So we're going to actually put something up on the screen. Um, if you know me at all, I am a little bit of a nerd, and so you're going to get some data or a graph or something like that. So today it's a graph. We're going to put that up. But what I did, this was last year actually, and I went through the New Testament and, and looked for all the passages that deal with suffering. Um, you, you may ask what was going on in my life that I was doing that. Well, we do have five kids. I don't know if I mentioned that. So. <laughs> Take, take out of that what you may, but okay, what, what's all through the New Testament on suffering, and then what is God teaching me through those passages? So we're not going to read, you know, all 18 of the passages, but we're going to put a graph that maps their theme. So first up, in the New Testament, there are three times where we get passages that talk about forming our character. This is like when Paul writes in Romans 5 that suffering produces endurance. Endurance produces character and character produces hope. So that's awesome. That's an encouragement to us, but that's not the most prominent idea. The next one up is that when we suffer and struggle and toil, it is preparing us for glory and future rewards. Five times in the New Testament, we see this theme come up and is taught to us. 
Jesus himself said in Matthew 5, blessed are you when others revile you. And goes on to say, your reward is great in heaven. He's teaching about persecution. When you follow God and it gets tough, there's a reward in heaven. And so when we suffer, we have eternal hope and it can turn our hearts to that hope. But there is a, another theme. If this were a contest, the gold medal goes to a, a final theme. Ten times in the New Testament, we read that our suffering and our struggles unite us to Jesus Christ. It's his example, and we can find unity with him. Peter, the rock, Peter wrote in his letter, Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. So the primary reason we go through our sufferings, the primary benefit we can gain out of those seasons of life is we follow a suffering servant and we're united to him in that. So I think this is really interesting and I think there's a pastoral moment from Paul through the Holy Spirit for us today. When we suffer, like, like these are the hardest things in life that just knock you to the floor and you're crying and you're crying out to God, why, Lord, why is this happening to me? It could be a medical diagnosis. It could be a broken or strained relationship. It could be job loss or financial insecurity. We face these things and we start praying. We cry out. We say, God, get me out of this, please. Just like Jesus in the garden, he prayed, take this cup from me if you would, Lord. That's a natural prayer. We cry out to our Father. But the pastoral moment from Paul is don't stop there. That's not the end of your prayer. Say, Lord, would you please bring relief? Would you please get me out of this? But also, Lord, I have hope even in the suffering and the struggle because I know, Father, that you are forming my character. Would you shape me and make me more like Christ through this time? And then also cry out and say, Lord, through these difficulties, I am reminded of eternity. There's hope on the other side. This is not all that there is. There's future glory and future rewards. And finally, Lord, as I walk through these challenges, would you awaken my heart to the fact that I serve Jesus Christ who suffered first. He went before me, and in a mysterious way, Lord, would you unite my heart to yours. Thank you, Jesus. That's our prayer as we go through suffering. We don't suffer like those who have no hope. So that's point one. We expect the suffering and toil. Second point in our outline today is that we suffer and toil for a purpose, and that's to build the church. So listen to a couple of phrases that Paul uses in what we read today. He says, for the sake of his body, that is, the church. He says, for you, those at Laodicea, and for all who have not seen me face to face. But I think most significantly of all, this is really neat. So he's talking to the Christian community there. And then he says this famous little line, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Well, one of the commentaries I, I prepared for this with is, is by the theologian N.T. Wright. He has a Colossians commentary. And in that, he talks about how, like so often in Scripture, when we see the you right there, it's plural. And so the, the Texas translation of this would be Christ in y'all, the hope of glory. Or if you're a New Englander, uh, you might say, Christ in you guys is the hope of glory. Uh, but it's a plural. It's, it's not me and Jesus off on an island having our, our pleasant spiritual relationship. No, it's Christ in you, Northland Church together. His presence among us 
is our hope of glory as we struggle, as we toil to build this place up in Jesus' name. So this has a powerful message for us today, and it's, uh, it's that church matters. It's part of the design of God. And after this crazy year and a half where that's been disrupted for a time, praise God, we're sitting in the room together here today. I'm grateful for that. Amen. Amen. You know, like all of us, because things were shut down, my family was, was at home, and, and I'm just so thankful for our, our staff, by the way, who led us in worship online when we couldn't even gather and then led a reopening process. Man, it was difficult to navigate that. How do we honor our governmental authorities, as Scripture tells us? How do we create a safe environment to worship and be as open as we can as we go? Difficult decisions, no perfect answers, but our staff worked themselves to the bone, and I'm grateful for that. But I remember when my family said, okay, we're going to go back physically, we're going to do this. Uh, through that season, uh, it was the time where there were masks, it was masks on, it was social distancing, it was reservations for, for seats in order to contact trace, all that good stuff was going on. And, and man, first of all, we learned, we've been churchgoers our whole life, and, and we learned, wow, I, I see why people love having a Sunday morning free. Uh, you can catch it online for an hour and then get your Home Depot run done and do stuff around the house. Like, I get an extended weekend if I don't physically go to church. But after a little while of that, we said, man, we're church people. And if we're going to be Jesus people, he's the groom. I want to care about the bride. I'm going to be a church person if I'm a Jesus person because those two are connected together. So I can't say it was easy. There were those moments where it's like, wait, where's, where's our three-year-old's mask? Oh, man, it's in the car. We got to go back and get it. And then here we come in and like, I forgot to print our ticket. I don't know where our seat's supposed to be. And we're asking for help. And Man, I get it. And we went through that. But we were committed to do this together. So I want to share this. Um, you know, I'm honored to be on the, the governing elder team. And I get to see a lot of things and, and walk through a lot of things. What a joy, what a delight to serve the bride in that way. But I will also say, like many of you who volunteer here who struggle and toil, there is some struggle and there is some toil in some of the things that have to be done as you lead a large organization and partnering with our leadership. It has not always been easy. And yet in the midst of that, I see the hope of glory in us, in our leadership here, in our community here. And this place in this church is a gift from God to me and to you, because it's what God has made us for. So I believe in the church, I believe in Northland, and I believe in each and every one of you. I'm so thankful that you're here making this investment in the bride of Christ. So if the pandemic sidelined you, maybe you're online there with us. Thank you for being online. If a church controversy has impacted you, if you've been frustrated by things along the way, I invite you to engage with your brothers and sisters to even struggle and toil to build the bride together. And you may see things, you may see things especially online from those who seek to slander or defile the bride of Christ. There are all kinds of rumors you can find. And what I would say is that how do you think the groom, Jesus Christ, feels about those who seek to give his bride a black eye? especially when they may not even know the things of which they speak. But we stand here together as part of the bride. So I know you see me and my family. Sometimes we're limping through the doors of Northland. If you're in the lobby at like 9.03 for the 9 a.m. service, 
uh, you, you're going to see a bedraggled caravan coming through those sliding doors. And it's me and my wife and our five kids. And those of you with young families, you're like, man, I know what it's like. You're, your alarm set to 6.30 on Sunday morning, and then you're like, let's get him dressed, is breakfast done? We gotta get out the door. Wait, we forgot a water bottle, now we're there. So like, we are a mess, and you may say, hey, I'm a mess, I don't know if it's for me. Yeah, it is, it is. We're a mess together, but the glory of God is in our midst. He's our hope of glory. So I'm gonna get off my little church soapbox, but uh, you know, if, if this has been the season where, where you've been Let's say you're online with us today. Thank you for worshiping online. But maybe you've been on the sidelines because we've been in a different season for a year and a half. This may be your nudge from the Lord to say, come on back to the physical place where we gather in Jesus' name. Some of you, I know you're, you're like in Germany and you go, well, I can't exactly do that. Okay, that's great. We're so thankful you're online. But man, if you're 10 minutes from the church and, and, and you just haven't quite felt right, let this be the nudge from the Lord. Consider it, pray about it, say, I may go back and join my brothers and sisters. Okay, stepping off the soapbox, here we go. Point two and a half today is that the, to build the church is to increase Christian maturity. So uh, I wanna do a quick show of hands. Uh, if you have heard Pastor Gus talk about discipleship, would you raise your hand if you've heard him say that word? Yeah, that's, that's pretty much everybody. Um, so I love this. Um, Pastor Gus has a heart for this. Well, why? Because it's the heart of Jesus. Discipleship, when, when believers come together and sp spend time and energy together to grow in the scriptures, to grow in Christ, that is Christian maturity. We're increasing our ability to conform to the image of Jesus. Let's, let's revisit a couple of phrases from our letter today from Paul. It says, him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom, that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil. And then you can go ahead a couple of verses and say, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So look, Paul is saying, I want you to understand God's mystery well, what is the mystery? It's the gospel of which Jesus Christ is the revelation of this good news. And then he still doesn't want us to miss it, so we get verse three, he adds on, in whom, in him, in Christ, are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. You may remember last week, Pastor Rob encouraged us, you know, our first priority when engaging with the world has to be Jesus. We have to see the world through a lens of Jesus Christ. We can't be of one political party before we're of Christ. We can't be of one economic or philosophical worldview before we are of Christ. Christ is first. You know, we have these, um, if you're a homeowner or, or frankly even in an apartment, anywhere you live, if you've got an air conditioning system, you've got that little slot and you stick in, what goes in there? The air filter, right? And that is an important thing as I've learned over the years as I, you know, Sometimes you neglect it and it builds up, bad things happen. So you want that filter to be in good condition because what's it going to do? It's going to block the dust. It's going to block the pollutants that can harm your lungs and harm your health if it's not working properly. What Paul is saying to us is that you face hundreds of ideas every day. They're flying at you. And you need a Christ-shaped filter for the ideas in the world that you engage with. How strong is that Christ filter when something comes at you? So as an example, 
You know, you may hear someone make a statement like this. This is popular in today's world. Uh, You know, all roads really lead to God. You know, it doesn't really matter what, like, what religion you have. You can worship in a church or a mosque or a synagogue. Like, we, we all, it's really all the same because they all teach basically to, to be kind to one another, and, and all of those paths lead, lead to God, right? So someone could say that, and it actually sounds kind of nice on the surface, but if you have a well-formed biblical worldview, you go, wait a minute, no, that's false. That's not right. And you may remember the words of Jesus. He said, no one comes to the Father except through me. Our Lord made an exclusive claim. And if we're with him, we're with him. If we're not, we're not. But Jesus laid down the law on that. And so we hear that idea, but do we have a good enough Christ filter to go, wait a minute, no, that's actually not true. So as you get hit by these ideas, how do we strengthen that Christ filter so that we're stronger, more mature, Well, it's something that I need and it's something that you need. It's our knowledge and wisdom, our understanding of Scripture. So if you and I are not digging into God's Word to deepen our biblical worldview, our understanding of our Savior, Jesus Christ, then automatically we're going to be discipled in directions that we really don't want to go by the world. For my wife Megan and I, uh, there came a conviction about a couple of years ago. We said, you know what? What if we just traded social media for God's word? What if we stopped engaging with with social media, stopped scrolling, stopped spending time there, and traded that time for time in the word of God? And I'm telling you, it's one of the best decisions we've made. God met us in a powerful, powerful way as we made that shift. Uh, For me, uh, you know, I'm kind of academically minded, and, and I'll be honest with you on this, my Bible study was a little bit stale. You know, we go through those times where it's amazing. We go through times where we're going, ah, I don't feel like doing it necessarily. And I was trying to think, how can I spice this up in a way that I'm going to be excited about? And so I I ended up ordering some commentaries, and they're the Tyndale New Testament and Tyndale Old Testament commentary series. And I can can recommend them with with whole heart at this point. They're uh, they're evangelical in outlook. You can trust what you're reading. You're not going to get any crazy stuff. And they're also written, this was important for me, you don't have to know Greek and Hebrew. They're not going crazy, crazy, crazy deep. It's just helping you unpack and understand what's happening in each book of the Bible. So that was an amazing gift to me. Uh, I started about a year and a half ago, and uh, you know, Turtle wins the race, and so I I love to read. I I get distracted by new books that I hear come out. So I said, okay, not only no social media, also no other books. Um, I've got friends who are authors saying, hey, did you read my book yet? And I've had to say, I'm really sorry. I'm doing this thing. Only commentaries in the Bible. That's it right now. And so uh, I've been doing about one commentary per month, one book of the Bible per month, but going deep. And the reason I share that is that, man, God has been waking me up to aspects of his character. Y'all, I've been reading the Bible my whole life. But there's always more to discover. My, my Christ-shaped filter is becoming stronger and stronger. And so my, my challenge, my encouragement to you is how are you engaging with the Word of God? And would you consider trading, if this is a prompt today, what if I took three hours of my week, five hours of my week, and I took it away from social media, and I put that into God's Word? What would I look like? How would I be shaped over the next year or a couple of years? As a total side note on this, Uh, In the last couple weeks, I was with somebody from the world of big tech, um, kind of a a high-ranking kind of a person. They live in Silicon Valley. Uh, They're a believer. And, you know, make a list of the famous people and companies in in big tech, and and they know them or have done deals with them, that kind of a thing. So one of those high-flyer people. 
and in a private conversation about some of this stuff, and, and how do you handle that as a Christian, and what are your thoughts? And, and this person said, you know, with regard to some of these companies, uh, he, he mentioned Google, he mentioned Facebook. He said, I know what they know, I know who they are, I know how their algorithms work and what they're trying to do, and for those reasons, I will not touch their products. Uh, Facebook, Instagram, Google, YouTube, he said, I just stay away from it. Uh, he said, you know, you do what you want, and, and I'm telling you, I'm not making a blanket statement because I, I use some of those products. Um, but to hear that from a believer who's well-versed, who's deep in the world of Silicon Valley, you go, wow, it's not quite what you think it might be, especially for those of us with a biblical worldview. They are not aligned with us. So there we have it, church. Those are our two and a half points today. Let's recap. Number one, we expect suffering and toil as we serve Jesus. Not the message we expect, but everyone suffers and toils in this life, and the point is we have a different kind of hope. So when we face it, we say, Lord, grow my character. Lord, prepare me and remind me that there's eternity that I have hope for. And Lord, would you unite me to Jesus Christ because he's the suffering servant and he went first and he's with me in my trials. Number two, we suffer and toil for a purpose to build the church. If you're not back yet, come on back. Thank you for being here, those of you who are working to build the church, those who aren't even in this room because they're serving and working to build the bride of Christ. What a beautiful thing. And in a moment, by the way, I'm going to give some very practical steps. If you say, well, how do I engage other than just come into a weekend service? We're going to share some of those at the end. And point two and a half, to build the church is to increase Christian maturity. How strong is your Christ-shaped filter? Ideas are coming at you 100 miles an hour. Can you block those that are false, harmful, and no good? And look through the lens of Christ, a lens of Scripture, to engage with the world around you. So here's how I want us to close today. I want you to think in your mind, open up your mind's eye, and go to this moment. In a Christian wedding, there's this moment where the husband stands ready. The groom is in the front at the altar, and he's in position and ready And then in the back of the room, the doors swing open and in comes the bride. Can you picture that? What happens in that moment? Everybody stands up. That's right. Everybody stands. And and you're there and you're kind of trying to look over the person in front of you so you can get a glimpse. And everybody is turned to see the bride. And it's to show respect and honor and admiration for a pure and lovely woman who has readied herself for this moment to be given in marriage to the groom. It's amazing. She's the focus of everyone present. All eyes are there. I remember that moment from my own wedding. It's an amazing, amazing thing. So this is my favorite moment in weddings when I attend uh, out of the whole ceremony. I just love this. So everyone stands and of course I'm looking at the bride with everyone else, but then I do something else. I turn and always look to see the face of the groom. Because there's something in the expression there that's like a touch of heaven. And we know how complicated life becomes, but all our hopes, all our dreams, he's looking at this bride who's the focus of his life, and he's saying, I love you. Come down that aisle and let's be united. It's an amazing, amazing moment. And why do I bring that up today? Well, because Northland... God himself says that ultimate moment is coming, the wedding feast of the Lamb. We're in preparation. And it's Jesus Christ, he's the groom, he's standing ready. And when he looks down that aisle, 
The bride is us. That's you. Us together are the bride of Christ. And that look on the face of the groom that we get a taste of heaven in that brief moment here on earth, that's coming. And we're the recipient of that look in the eyes of God himself. Revelation 19 says this, talking about this very thing. Hallelujah, for our Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory, for the wedding of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given her to wear. Fine linen stands for the righteous acts of the saints. I love that parenthesis. The writer of Revelation is saying, in case it wasn't clear, I want to make it clear. What we wear on that day when we shine in glory, that's as we work to build the church and disciple and pray and give and love one another, speak well of the bride of Christ. We are beautifying the great bride for the great husband at the end of time. We actually have a hand to play in that journey. That's amazing. So hold on to that image of the wedding feast of the Lamb because we're going to have an amazing time with the worship team as we close out today. But before we go there, I want to give you one final invitation to come be a part of the Bride of Christ. Come be a part of building this project that Jesus has given us called church. And if you're here and you say, I I want to know how to go deeper, we're going to put three options up on the screen. These are online. These are in your worship guide. You can scan the little code on the seat in front of you. I have no idea how that technology works. But it'll take you somewhere where you can even sign up. And, uh, And this is great because I know what calendars are like. Summer calendars are nuts. But look, August, 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 you can plan ahead and say, as we look to the rest of this year, I'm going to plan ahead. I'm going to be part of the bride of Christ. I'm going to go deeper here at Northland. So just real quick on these, belong and grow. If you don't know where to start, you want to get started here at Northland, I don't even know where to begin, there, that's the one for you. And guess what you can do in that class? Well, you can belong and you can grow. Uh, and I have great memories of that class myself, made some incredible friendships. Uh, essential guide to becoming a disciple, I'm going to explore the characteristics of Christ followers. Remember the Christ filter, the maturity, come grow in that context with others from this church family. And then finally, perspectives in the beautiful video from Julia that we saw. That was incredible, wasn't it? And she talked about perspectives. Christ is not at work just at Northland or just in 2021. He's been working for hundreds and hundreds of years. He's been working all around the world to this day. And this class will help you zoom out and get that big picture view of of the body of Christ and what he's doing. So pick one of those jump in here at Northland. If you want the gold star, sign up for all three. I mean, go for it. But whatever, whatever you want to do to go deeper in the bride of Christ. So here's how we're going to end today. I just, again, go back to that wedding feast of the Lamb. Picture that moment where we're going to shine in glory. The angels are all turning to look and they see us because God has made us ready. So we're going to pray Our worship team is going to pray a a prayer they have gotten ready for this moment. It's beautiful. I'm going to join them. And I invite you to take a physical posture that reflects your surrender, your humility, your desires for the church. I'm going to kneel some up here. May I invite you to consider that. Lift your hands, stand or sit. But let's go into a, a humble posture of love for our groom, the great groom Jesus Christ, as we pray together and go into this final song.